Welcome to episode 147 of Friends and Film. We're here to bring the latest movie news and review the biggest new release, which this week is mid-90s. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, and this week I'm joined by Josh Straley. Hello, everyone. Hello, Cooper. Hello. I have a question for you. Okay. This outrage was sparked all across the interwebs today when Justin Bieber was, or, well, this week, when yeah, Justin was, Bieber so was, was spotted devouring a burrito like it was a piece of corn on the cob. Yes. Did you see this? I have seen it. What's your opinion on it? Uh, good for him. <laughs> is there a right or a wrong way to eat a burrito? I don't eat burritos. You don't typically. eat burritos? No. Chipotle? Not no, a fan? No, I'm not a Chipotle guy. Quidoba? Nope. You don't even have a, like a... Not even like a Taco Bell burrito or anything. Nothing. What? That's just not my thing. It's all, all the rice and the vegetables and nah. The chicken and the... Oh. Get out of here. And the beans? Nah, I, I, I can't do it. I am thoroughly... I'm shocked. I can't do it. I've been doing this pot for three years, and I did not know. I'm a picky eater. Really? Yeah. Mm. If it was just like a giant fajita with just a bunch of steak and cheese. Yes. Golden. You could order that. Yeah, but... You're not going to go out of your way. No, that's a really expensive giant fajita. It is. Okay. Well, that's true. And the steak at Chipotle is like the spiciest Mm -hmm. of the meats. I just want like just some regular fajita <laughs> meat. I don't need I don't need spicy you know steak. Just give me regular I, old steak. I can't believe my ears. I'm sorry. It's well, possible. Anyway, I I thought it was okay too. The point is, you're eating a burrito. Just get to eat. Get to eat. Yeah. You know whatever the case is. But um, if we don't have burrito news on Twitter, um, but if you want to stay up to all the latest movie news and other actors and celebrities and the moves and movies and, and things like that they're making, you can follow us on there at Friends in Film. Mm-hmm. And if you want to um, get more of our shows and our reviews, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And if you can, on Apple Podcasts, please rate us, uh, review us, and that ultimately helps rank us and yeah. we can find more friends of the show. Exactly. Uh, so Josh, we've been seeing mid-90s this past week, but we've also watched a couple of other things as well. Uh, what have you been watching? Uh, I only got around to one film like, okay. for the first time okay. this week. Um, or, well, okay, two. But <laughs> outside of mid-90s. And it was All the President's Men. Um, have not the seen it. Ni- don't waste your time on it. Really? I, I do not see how this was a, this is a good movie. It's boring. It is so boring. You wow. just, you just, I mean, and I, and I kind of get the idea behind it. It's like, we're going to go raw and just watch Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman make calls and go ask people questions, mm-hmm. and knock on doors and like do shoe leather journalism. And it's like, okay, yeah, I guess this is fine, but there's no, there's no emotional weight to it or anything like that. They're not. And the, you know, the deep throat scenes uh, where Robert Redford goes to a parking garage and talks to his source. Mm-hmm. That's like the most interesting part because the guy's like, keep digging, you'll find him. And then that's it. And okay. then the movie just ends right when the drama's starting of like them, you know, hounding Nixon. It's like, all right, this is, this is boring. Spotlight. Um, what the about post, the post? Way better. Movies. The post is way better. Five times better. Wow. Than... It's got John Williams and Spielberg, you know, so? throwing you through this movie. Uh, yeah, so I was, I would, like, Indiana Jones still holds up. I can't believe all the, pre- and that didn't win any Oscar <laughs> nominations or anything like that. But the all the President's Men did, and it gets hailed as this revolutionary thing. No. I mean, Robert Redford's handsome, but Dustin Hoffman's just annoying. And, you know, so there's a reason why Bob Woodward's still remembered today. <laughs> 
but geez, man. Oh man, not Co- not a fan. Coming with the hot takes. I see that. Uh, we have to be honest. That's true. We do have to be honest. We have to speak our opinions. Um, even if they're maybe unpopular, I can't speak to your opinion. And I'm a positive dude. I could have, <laughs> I, I wanted to tell you one nice thing I liked about this movie, uh-huh. other than Redford, but that there's just kinda, nothing. Okay. It was like regular Cheerios without any sugar on them or anything. I don't know. It's just so bland. But how about <laughs> you? Uh, maybe you have something nicer to say. Um, yes, I do actually. I watched on the way to Arizona, which. Mm-hmm. I made it there and back alive. That's right. Thankfully. Great. Um, I downloaded, um, you know, like the day before, I was like, oh, you know, I need to update my iTunes digital library of all the movies I've bought that had mm-hmm. digital copies. And I, there, man, there's just so many. I'm just like, man, I, I need to do this more often. So <laughs> like a once a year thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the ones that I had, and I hadn't even seen the movie yet, but I like saw it at Best Buy. I had a really cool new cover on it. And I was like, oh, I've heard good things about it. I want to check it out. And it's Man on Fire. Uh, Denzel Washington uh, back from 2004 Ooh. and it's directed by Tony Scott and uh, I watched it didn't know anything really about it loved it and then I found out after the fact that it has like a 39% Rotten Tomatoes and I'm just like what what are these people watching because I thought it was amazing um, it's got a really great performance by Denzel he's like a bodyguard for hire and he guards one of the young fanning sisters and they have a really great connection and then they're separated and it's really sad and they have a reunion and it's so emotional and it's great um there's some very tooth early 2000s um kind of action and setups yeah. and all that stuff which kind of dates it and i was like i don't love these moments of it mm-hmm. but overall thought it was really impressive and i don't understand why it Maybe doesn't didn't do well with critics. It's one of those oddities, I guess. I have a question for you. Yes, I'm looking at pictures of this movie right now. Mm-hmm. Who is the man on fire? I, I don't I don't know. Is there <laughs> someone was randomly on fire in the movie? Mm, no. Oh no! Wait, this is like actually just a a picture of a person on fire, not from the movie oh. Man on Fire. <laughs> okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Um, I want to apologize. But yes. okay, that does sound exciting but yes i would absolutely recommend it okay for sure sometimes like listen like i'm a resident evil fan uh-huh. and i think those movies despite they're a bit like they're zero percent rotten tomato yeah. scores um when you add them all together <laughs> are like some of the most fun action movies around so and like i mean even Den- but denzel's denzel yeah how can you go wrong it's like his like john wick almost um Ooh. but not not as violent but there's there's john wick elements yeah. to it i guess just because it's revenge and it's you know all that kind of stuff. Okay. But awesome. Very good. Definitely go check it out however you can. Whether you have to go buy it at Best Buy as I did or rent it or whatever. It's great. Um, but let's talk about mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Jonah Hill's directorial and uh, script writing debut. Yeah. Um, personally, I thought it was pretty impressive. Um, not like one of my favorite movies of the year or anything. Um, but it has very solid direction by Hill for a first-timer. Um, the script is pretty uh quick and it moves and it's got good dialogue good back and forth between um stevie and his new group of friends that he encounters um stevie's played by sunny soljic and i thought he was good for being like a kid who's kind of desperate for to find his place i guess in the world and he's like mm-hmm. oh i'm gonna go be friends with these skaters and does whatever he really can to get in with that group um his older brother played by lucas hedges yes. lucas hedges continues to impress um i think he's just one of the best young actors we have right um no breaking news here or anything but i mean <laughs> uh he just continues to 
turn out solid roles. Yeah, it's another like solid entry in the Lucas Hedges A24 cinematic universe. Right. And I think, I, mean, I don't know if they're A24, but we still have Ben is back and uh, it's not beautiful. Is he, is he a beautiful erased. boy? Boy erased. Yes. Beautiful um, boy. Beautiful boy is Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet. Which, yeah. That's so on the nose. It's, it's, yeah, it's too much. Too many, too many boy movies. Um, but so I, th- I feel like as good as he is here, I don't think it's going to be his best performance of the year probably, but He's solid. Uh, Catherine Waterston is in this movie. I had no idea. She plays uh, Stevie's mom. Not really in the movie a lot, which is kind of disappointing, but she was solid for what she was given. Um, I think the biggest problem I have with mid-90s, though, is in terms of the characters as a whole because the movie is really short, which on some um, aspects you like because it, it moves quickly, it starts, and then it's pretty quickly over uh which doesn't say oh man i was dying for this movie to end Mm -hmm. but because of how quick it moves there's not a lot of time to really dive into these characters and they are just like razor thin like you understand a little bit about stevie but Mm -hmm. then all of his friends are just kind of like stereotypical oh this guy's from the rich family but he doesn't want to have any part of that this guy's from like the the abusive family and this one is from like the community and he's trying to you know rise above it yeah and it's just like okay like We've seen that kind of stuff before, so you want to get to know those guys a little bit better. Uh, Lucas Hedges' character, he's just like the abusive brother, but then there's moments where like, oh, he's like fighting the abuse that he's putting on Stevie, and it's like, I feel like there's something deeper there yeah. that should have been explored, and it, and it doesn't. So I feel like in a lot of ways, this movie squanders its characters. It's more just like, a hey, look back at the 90s, because it's cool. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I was. I was I'm a 90s kid. I was ice skated all the time. Um, not very good. I was basically Stevie's level, but yeah. you know, I thought it was cool. Thought I was good. I had my own custom board and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really just, uh, I think, just a fine movie overall. Yeah. Um, I think probably the best part for me was Nikel Smith's character. Um, his first time acting, he's a real professional skateboarder. Um, I thought he was pretty solid and has probably the best moment with Stevie where they're just kind of talking about everything that's happened with the group dynamic and everything. And I thought that was really solid and he's kind of the only one that's kind of likable because the other ones are kind of like just the regular like bad kids who don't listen to anybody and they're very rebellious and then right. uh, Nikel Smith's character, Ray, he's just like He's the one trying to watch out for Stevie and make sure he doesn't get into too much trouble and mm-hmm. like respect his mom when she comes and yells at them and all this stuff. Um, but then at the end, he doesn't make like as great of a move as a leader as I kind of wanted him to make. So then like kind of dip back down for me. But overall, I mean, mid nineties is solid, not great. Um, I'm going to give it three and a half ticket stubs out of five. And I'm still wondering why Jonah Hill chose the aspect ratio. Oh yeah, I I dug it actually. I think it, I think it all plays into the nostalgia that it's going for. I mean, we want that. Like, that's like the box TV frames mm-hmm. and how VHSs were distributed, and that's kind of like our entry into the movie. And yeah. By I think they the movie shot on Super sixteen um, film, mm-hmm. so, or so that's why you got we got like you know I don't want to say poor picture quality. Yeah. But. That's sort of the aesthetic of it in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, and I, I I dug that as an approach. So like we, when we dig this up in you know 2050 and be like, oh, this movie was made in the mid 90s because we're yeah. all going to collectively forget the the IMAX technology of today. Um, but you know, I'll just say it wasn't as uh, useful or I I guess necessary as like first man's like you know kind of 16 millimeter approach home video style stuff that they did. Yeah. 
for sure. Um, this was that, yeah. <sighs> It, 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 it seemed, this was definitely purposeful, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, but I don't think it enhanced it a ton. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and, but it, it wasn't bothersome or anything like that. And But all of all of that to say, Jonah Hill, as a first-time director and screenwriter, either, well, no, I think he's screenwritten before. I'll double-check that. But I think he's, no, because he, was, he, was, he, re- he wrote on um, 21 and 22 Jump Street. But you can correct me if I'm wrong there. All right, uh, because I was surprised I'll, I'll to look learn it that. Up. Uh, but as as a first time director, for sure, awesome. Like, re- like he it was it was it's it's extremely simple and at times re- aggressively disheartening. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when you see Stevie, uh, aka Sunburn, you know, like get his nickname and like find a group of friends where he can fit in and belong after having you know it's like such a like a bad home life and everything like that and how it, it just kind of like changes his outlook for a good 20, 30 minutes. You're like, he's legitimately happy, even mm-hmm. though he's trying to still fight it all. Keep, keep all these other things on the outside of his life um, at bay. He's just following some kind of thing that he thinks is like a calling. Like that's really sweet and hopeful. And you're, and you're like, Oh, I mean, that's what kids need. Like just mm-hmm. something to like grasp onto and like find belonging in like this group of like ragtag skaters. Um, and then obviously like we, we start to see bends into, um, you know, wrong avenues or things like that with like drug, sex and mm-hmm. crime and um, other things like that. And it's, it's all, um, it feels really personal. Um, yeah. From like Jonah Hill and things like that. And you're, and you're just sort of like, this is a really honest, or at least attempted an honest look at, mm-hmm. you know, like a kid's life whose home's like that in LA. And, um, and I think all of that brought together, like you already touched on um, the supporting cast, like the relationship with Ray and like, you know, you just see these cutouts of people you can remember back to like in your like high school or hometown mm-hmm. where you're like, okay, that person's like that, that person's like that, and that person's like that. And then how things shift and dynamics change and how, Ray's looking to leverage his skill and his talent to like get him out of there or whatever mm-hmm. the case is. Um, or yeah, Nikel Smith's character. So all that to say, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it, especially the runtime. I mean, I thought they told a good enough story, like in a, an hour and 20 minutes. Hour 24 is the official runtime, but that's including credits. So really it's like under an hour and 20 yeah <laughs> probably well, it's so refreshing in the in the age of two hour and 20 minute films as good as some of the, most of them end up mm-hmm. being to be like oh we're done yeah. all right see ya <laughs> okay bye everyone and for me uh, like the previews were only like 15 minutes so they even had like shorter everything everything i was in and out in two hours yeah you'd be like oh nice afternoon instead of turning yeah. into like an event circus so all that to say i i i just i left thinking about like my childhood and things like that and then and i think that was kind of the point uh-huh. um and it was also just a really great way to like take a look at oh you know being a, a mentor to some kid or you know like reaching out to like some 12 year kid means the world to him and i think that's like the best part of um soljix whatever sonny's name is yeah yeah um uh perform like at least acting i guess in this movie is just like he he gets across the um the innocence and like enthusiasm really mm-hmm. well, which I think he's a kid. I think kids are enthusiastic. Yeah. So, uh, at the end of the day, four out of five ticket stubs. Okay. For me. Um, just really good. Yeah. Uh, this is 
it's tough. Jonah Hill has story by credit on a lot of other movies, like Why Him, Sausage Party, and the okay. Jump Street movies. But this is the first movie that is written by him. Okay. So he, he helped do story stuff, but this is the first one's actually, like, I guess, written the actual script for the movie. So um, just a small difference there um, in clarity, which is always nice. Don't, oh, yeah. don't want to I mean, be wrong. Yeah, contributing and like right, I mean, contributing to something and versus conceiving of the idea and structuring the whole thing right. out rather than being like let's do this entire joke here type mm-hmm. of a thing yeah, yeah totally agree um i don't know if there's really much to get into spoiler wise with mid 90s the only thing maybe worth discussing is like what you mentioned like jonah hill um like he's even said that it's kind of him like ex- like accepting himself as a younger uh you know as a younger kid and so, like, for me, like, I was kind of watching this and wondering, like, okay, well, which character does Jonah most identify with? Like, is Sonny, um, you know, him? Like, is that how is that how this plays out? Or, like, is he fourth grade, like, the wannabe filmmaker? Yeah. That's kind of what I was going with at the end. More of, like, he's just, like, the shy guy who didn't talk a lot, but then he wants to get into movies. And, like, that's where my mind went like that's what i thought he was connecting with more than mm-hmm. i guess sunburn but did you feel the same way or I, something I, else i like to think that he was his he's the you know, he's his own protagonist uh-huh. but then just kind of sprinkling parts of himself across all of those characters where he's got the ambition of oh, i want to get out of this town and I'm, i've got a talent for mm-hmm. writing or comedy or acting so i'll try to leverage that to get away um but it's also like that he was you know feeling unwanted with a lot of group of friends and he finally found a group of skaters or filmmakers or people who like to act and perform. And that mm-hmm. was like an avenue for him too. But then also, like you said, they put like the literal sense in there um, where he's taping everything. And then at the end, it kind of comes in, it comes around really sweetly in the end with them, like, you know, showing uh, Stevie, you know, everything that they taped and filmed mm-hmm. over the day. So that was like a really great thing with fourth grade. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I felt about it. He was, he was everybody as opposed to just one kid. Mm-hmm. And then just filled out Stevie's home life with, um, probably some personal aspects. I think yeah. maybe that less of that felt. So that's that's where I landed. Okay, on that. But yeah, like you said, there's it's really just a collection of like misadventures, mm-hmm. um, and then just coalescing in a really big accident. We're in spoiler territory, right? Yes. Yeah, it's coalescing in a really big accident with um, uh, everyone in the car. I don't know. I, we're a clean podcast, so I yeah, can't, you can't say the main. I can't, can't shout the kid's name. Um, Olin Prennett's character, um, FS, I guess <laughs> his, his moniker. Yeah, it made me laugh every time they said it, I don't know, just because it was like said like so like deadpan for a few a few times. Right. Where it was just like that's his name. It's not a joke. I did. I did like, like when Catherine Watterson basically made fun of him yeah. <laughs> for the name. I was like, oh, that was good. Um, did you think that it maybe ended? A little, I mean, before we record, you're like, oh, this was like Lady Bird, but instead of ending happy, it ended sad. I felt like this movie still ended happier than I felt like it was going to mm-hmm. because they do all get in this car accident because FS, you know, drives drunk and like crashes the whole car with all of them in it. And none of them are severely injured except for Sunburn and he like breaks his arm. Yeah. Um, and that's like really, yeah, all the rest of them don't even get arrested there's no like charges pressed against them they're just all like chilling in the hospital waiting room uh waiting for sunburn to wake back up and i was like and then they show the movie of all their good times even though the group at that point was like really like split up and they're like, all mad at each other yeah and i was like oh like, I, 
I get why they'd maybe want to close it. Like, look, like remember the good times, not the bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's like the the point of the whole thing is like looking back in your life. Look, you know, remember the times that were good and times of the bad times. But yeah. it to me, it was just more like I felt like there should have been a consequence to something because otherwise the the movie plays out with really out without really any consequences for any of the characters. Yeah. And I think what the what I was thinking on that or why I came to that conclusion was because um Stevie never gets really any closure with his family or mm. Ian um Lucas Hedges's character and it was like sort of like okay, well it, this is all he's got. Yeah. And th- that 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 part of me was like I really 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 wanted something, you know, to happen, some kind of reach out. And I know we kind of see that Lucas Hedges' character is actually, you know, being a, abusive or mean or a jerk because he cares. Um, yeah. In some ways, when he learns that Stevie's like getting high and doing drugs and things like that, mm-hmm. and um, he's like, okay, that part's yeah, that that part kind of like um, revealed something, but there was never any like real closure for them. Yeah. And I don't know. That's what I felt like. And then watching that end video, it's bittersweet, which was bittersweet. Um, it was kind of like, oh, they're going to review these and then they're going to leave that hospital room and then that's the end. So maybe okay. it was just, maybe it was just the place I was in when I was watching it or whatever the case was, <laughs> but I got a, I got a, um, a sense of, uh, this is sort of just like, a we're making sure you're alive and then we're going to leave. And then that's it. It was almost like they were, um, uh, placating him or, okay being not patronizing, but sort of like, oh, you're okay. Okay. <laughs> see ya. Bye. Okay, those yeah. are the good times, but um, I could I could buy that. It, it's still those those emotions were definitely brought to the surface extremely well. Um, so, okay, well, I think that's all I have to say about mid nineties. That's yeah, that's really all I've got. It's just it's it's a small little. It's a it, I want to say it's cute because it's <laughs> not cute, but it's it's a really intimate um, snapshot that's definitely worth your time. Yeah, I mean, if and it's only in like a limited number of theaters, somehow Fort Wayne is among them. Our, uh, our massive skater community, I yes. think, or something I, like that. All we, because of me. I'll take full responsibility <laughs> for it. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, if it is out in your area, it's getting great reviews. Um, we are both, I think, we both very much enjoyed it, but there are other people who are like calling it one of the year's best and you know, all this kind of, all these accolades. So uh, go check it out. See if you agree with us, screw with the critical consensus, or if you're not liar and you feel like this is uh, all the president's men, but you know, for <laughs> skater movies, if you're a Josh. Definitely not as bland as all the, all the president's men. That's for sure. Yeah. So uh, on that note, we will put this at the end of the review and we'll be right back in a bit with the news. We're back with the news as always going to start with our three main topics this week starting off with a disney property that may be rebooted as we may have predicted in last week's big question uh deadline reveal this week that pirates of the caribbean is being considered as a potential reboot candidate by disney uh they've apparently talked with paul wernick and rhett reese the writers of such movies as Zombieland, life and most famously both of the deadpool movies mm-hmm 
about possibly coming in and figuring out a new take on the Pirates franchise that would effectively reboot everything, scrap the previous five movies that have already happened, and move forward with presumably a new cast, new characters, all that kind of stuff. Um, Josh, we were both okay with the idea of them doing retconned sequels yeah for this but we i think what i said was but if you're just gonna do that just scrap the whole thing and start from scratch yeah seems like that's what they're gonna do now and i am totally on board with it josh Mm -hmm. are you there's no two better uh action comedy writers than Wernick and reese right now yeah i think we can say that definitively um funny it means ryan reynolds probability of joining this movie probably goes there's probably a non-zero chance Especially with him at Disney now, or with Deadpool about to be a Disney property. That is correct. So there's there's a non-zero chance Ryan Reynolds is a new Pirates of the Caribbean. So you're saying it's confirmed Ryan Reynolds will be in the new Pirates of the Caribbean I think, movie. I think we have to give it a, a 95% chance. What if I say there's a 5% chance that Ryan Reynolds is in it, but the 95% goes to his wife? Blake Lively? Blake Lively. Definitely. She is the star that I want to see. Okay. Yeah. Because apparently, I didn't know this, but I pitched it just like, because I, I, was, I was watching The Shallows, and I was like, she's mm-hmm. so good, and I'm on a simple favor high. That's Blake right. Lively's just great. And I want to see her like kind of do something bigger and like grander, I guess. She doesn't have like a massive audience yet. No, but I feel like she should. Or And if she does, it's more of just like because of her looks than like what she's shown on the big screen um so like i would want to see her come on board i feel like just based on a simple favor she could easily nail like some super charismatic uh you know pirate who's just like out for her own right gain i guess yes and just like sailing the high seas Mm -hmm. pillaging you know anything she needs and just like taking control like if she comes on your boat She's the captain now. Yeah. Like she just like <laughs> runs the, she runs it, I guess even at the exhibit now mm-hmm. um, in Disney world or wherever the Pirates of the Caribbean thing is located. I don't know if it's also at Disneyland or if it's just, Disney, I don't know, but apparently there's a new female character called red that is just like not taking the place of Johnny Depp, but mm-hmm. or, uh, <laughs> of Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Um, but that like, there's like this new female pirate who's basically being pushed to the, to the uh, center of the forefront story of, the of the new, uh, exhibit and i feel like that's exactly where disney would take the franchise next yeah. like you can't just like cast a new jack sparrow like would ryan reynolds's jack sparrow be funny probably especially behind wernick and reese but mm-hmm. would i rather see blake lively come on board i would too. and do something different hands down yes 100 percent. or you could get like, yeah because the character i'm imagining whether competent or incompetent mm-hmm. if you want to do a pivot on or like a gender swap Jack Sparrow or whatever the case is her or Emma Stone I think would be <laughs> perfect for it okay um, is red act does red have red hair probably I have I, no I idea maybe I don't know I'll, I'll google it here in a sec but I know 100% here for the Blake Lively thing um, a simple favor was probably the most dynamic movie I've ever seen with her shallow she's just terrified most of the time and resilient uh-huh. um, so those those qualities would I mean, definitely, Blake Walt Lively definitely has those qualities on screen. Um, but yeah, I would be a thousand percent here for that too. Or if it becomes there, um, it becomes Lively and Reynolds is uh, a quiet place acting duel, <laughs> like um, the Krasinski, Krasinski and Blunt. That okay. would be really cool. <laughs> uh, but 
No, I was 1000% on board for that. That would be sweet. Um, and plus, I think this is a great idea just as an overall whole outside of these two writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean 5, 20. I don't remember what number it was, that was. It was five. It was five. Was really bland and just yeah. tried really hard to make you care again. And it just barely puts a dent in my feelings. I think yeah. I ended up giving it like a three or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think I like a two and a half. I was not. I've soured on it since. I, <laughs> I, not, I don't remember really anything about it other than like there's a finale and the ocean splits and Bretton Thwaites and Kaya Scottolario are the two new leads. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kira Knightley appears at the end. And Jack Spar- and she's the daughter of the other guy. Yeah. Bosa. Yes, and that's, that's correct. So it's like, I don't care. Nope. So I'll just reboot it. Um, I feel Yeah, I feel like this is a great idea feel like this is one they need especially because currently the pirates iteration is so synonymous with jack sparrow yep. that and given johnny depp's current political state uh, i don't think there's any way you touch him if you're disney um so just move him aside but you can't just push him aside and then bring like a new jack sparrow or continue the pirates franchise without him yeah so just reboot it completely start from scratch figure out a new era potentially to even take this franchise mm-hmm. instead of whatever early 1900s this 1600s 1600s uh that the 1700s. franchise currently takes place in it's like do something completely different put it in the 1800s 1900s put it in the present day for all i care i don't know but <laughs> just like do something different and i feel like this is a a, good, a really good team with warnick and reese to help yeah figure this out and he was a disaster like reports were that he was a disaster on the set of the last movie Mm -hmm. or what was was it that he had like uh he had an earpiece that he was hiding so and having someone read him his lines so he could say them as he goes or something like that i could believe it um yeah so i think it's the best move for anyone with the johnny (laughs) depp franchise hint hint looking at you fantastic beasts warner brothers even though he's already confirmed to come back for the third one so (sighs) we're not getting that colin farrell switch up again (laughs) But uh, if we if we have Blake Lively on board to star in this hypothetical movie, Wernick and Reese director pitch it. Ooh, that's something I didn't even think about. Um, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that'd be perfect. Hands down, he's already got the got the Disney clout. Yeah. Um, he he would be perfect for it's not only starring in the movie, but um, just imagine all of the crazy pirate lingo. Inc- he would be spitting out. He would create. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> his his mismatched jargon, um, like you know, would fit perfectly for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. I I would love to I see like that. that. And if not, if we have Blake Lively, just I feel like Paul Feig could come <sighs> right on board and do something pretty fun. Absolutely. So uh, we'll have to see obviously how this progresses. It's just in the early stages, so this whole idea could collapse and we'll never see Blake Lively star in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Mm-hmm. And right now she's not even in the conversation, so uh, we'll have to see if Warnick and Reese's script actually happens, if it develops, and if Disney actually decides to move forward with this reboot, um, which I assume they will at some point. It just kind of depends on when at this point. I, th- it's, I think it's definitely a when, because don't forget the Pirates, the Dead Men Tell No tales did 750 million at the bo- or no 790 million at the box office i'm sorry wow so yeah, it's a good franchise to make some money with if you were willing to drop 80 to 100 million dollars because i mean so or probably cost them 120 or something like that but probably yeah, i mean it's a money maker 
Let's see. Worldwide, the five movies have grossed $4.5 billion. Yeah, there's definitely so a reboot going to happen. You don't just t- push that aside. <laughs> no, you don't. So, yes, let's move on then to our second topic, which is related to another potentially soon-to-be Disney property, that being Kingsman and that franchise. Once Disney acquires Fox, it will technically be a Disney property. Right now, there's no really confirmed plans that this movie will actually get to happen because Disney could come on board, scrap the whole idea. But right now, Matthew Vaughn and Fox are gearing up to film the third Kingsman movie, as well as moving on plans for a Kingsman prequel titled Kingsman the Great Game. And that hashtag show report this week, that's the prequel, is potentially eyeing Brad Pitt and Rachel Wise to star um, opposite of Harris Dickinson, who's playing the lead role of Conrad. Uh, Wise would play uh, Conrad's nanny, who is described as, quote, ruthless force of nature, which sounds uh, fun for her. And then Mm -hmm. Pitt would play a Russian named Grigory Rasputin. So uh, I'm I'm a little unclear on this story. I'm not sure if Pitt would then be the villain of the movie or if he is Conrad's mentor figure because the hashtag show, they said that uh, Ralph Fiennes, who we previously set, discussed as being the mentor figure, yeah. was actually going to be the father to Harris Dickinson's character. So I guess they could still he could still be a mentor in that case and there'd just be a different Harry Exy dynamic that yeah. we have currently, which is possible. Or like the Lancelot um, introduction, then immediate death. Right. This Russian, or no, this other villain guy who's not the Russian killed your father. Mm-hmm. I'm his Russian best friend, a double agent. It's time to go get the Ruskies or no, <laughs> or get myself. I don't know how it worked, but it, maybe it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, your dad died. All right. I will now train you because we were best friends. Right. Which is possible, but I, to me, it just, I you feel like... You get Ralph Pitt, Fiennes to kill him off. Yeah, like it seems like a waste to mm-hmm. bring Ralph Fiennes on and then just kill him within the first couple of minutes. Um, I so, could never do it. No, <laughs> absolutely not. So I would rather him still be a mentor figure in some capacity, but then like Brad Pitt be like their uneasy ally that they have to, you know, be like, well, we have to go find X mm-hmm. and we have to go meet up with this Russian to do it. And yeah. then like this crazy Brad Pitt Russian character comes into play. For and, sure then he takes over. Yeah. And I'm, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like a Tarantino ass character. Like he was in, um, Inglorious bastards mm-hmm. where his accent is just a, like atrocious, <laughs> yeah. but you're just buying it because there's uh, the campy attitude that Kingsman picked up, mm-hmm. um, in the golden circle. Yeah. They're just going to run with that. And if that's going to be the case, they need to go for it full force rather than delineate between semi-serious and mm-hmm. like you know non-serious. Yeah. So I, I would I would be all here for that. But I know you said there's the potential for this movie may not even happen. Um, yeah. There it would be interesting to see if they could get this into production and have money spent on it before. That'd Iger be tough. Takes over the reins in January of 2019. But if they're they really want to make this movie and and Vaughn wants to make this movie and has to see it made, grabbing all the talent you can. I'm putting on your roster for a proposal right. when the uh, you know the shift takes place, and you submit that to Iger and crew. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably the best way to do it. And I mean, Brad Pitt's the man, yeah, or a man. You know, so, <laughs> he is, he is a man. Like, he's one of the he's one of the big men in Hollywood. Yes, so, you know, ha- attaching him to your movie definitely increases his chances. Yeah, and I, and I think the idea was for the third Kingsman movie to introduce all the prequel characters through flashbacks. 
So I think I think that's why they're casting them currently is that they'll appear in the third movie, and that way, even if they I guess don't have time to actually get the prequel started before the deal closed, which seems unlikely because the deal will be ready to close January first, but then it could still take like a couple more months before it's actually like officially done. But either way, it'll be impossible for them to film Kingsman three and then already start on Kingsman the Great Game. But if those characters are already appearing in Kingsman three. And that movie is actually happening. Comes right. out, makes a lot of money, gets a lot of good reception. Um, unlike the second movie, and then people are like, "Oh man!" And those flashback scenes, mm-hmm. like, I, I gotta see that prequel. Yeah. How can Disney say no? Right. They love money. <laughs> exactly. And at the, at the same time, too, Fox is gonna have a a certain independence as well. Yeah. And for the movies they put out, I mean, like anything over hundred million dollars, they're gonna have to, you know, get the the man's approval. Mm-hmm. But but they're still gonna have like Fox Searchlight open and like exactly the, yeah so they're gonna be able to make those moves all by themselves and if they have a proposal like all right it's a hundred million dollars the last movie made five hundred million dollars can we mm. do this movie oh yeah sure Brad Pitt's in it that's <laughs> that's guaranteed go for it and I think it's like a really good strategy move um, for anyone who's feeling uneasy about the changes that are gonna come or yeah. you know what the process is gonna be like. Yeah, so uh, then we also got an update on the Boba Fett movie, mm. courtesy of Lucasfilm mm. president Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, she told Eric Weber at some convention that's happening overseas uh, that the Boba Fett movie is 100% dead. So, not good news. If you're James Mangold, you're hoping to make that movie. <laughs> yes. uh, if you're Tamora Morrison, you're hoping to come back and star in this movie or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're just a Boba Fett fan in general, that movie's not happening does is this surprising to you and does this have any implications i guess on the future of the standalones as a whole this doesn't surprise me because because i've been kind of waiting for a boba fett's dead announcement ever since solo's disappointing box and you office mean returns. you mean the movie not that the character because he both. is he is technically believed to be dead he is in film lore or no in 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 film he's dead we have not mm-hmm. seen or heard from him. However, books have been dancing around the idea that Boba Fett escaped the Sarlacc pit and dumped his armor and is now living his life, his best life somewhere on Tatooine or off planet or Mandalore or wherever the case okay. is. And I don't know how that works with the new canon and what Mandalore is today. But yeah, I need to read up on that because I'm way behind. <laughs> I'm still in the like Legends Mandalore lore. Other than the new yeah, stuff, I don't, the black saber and all that jazz. Yeah, I don't know Mandalore states. I I believe in canon though that like they've been by like Boba Fett was like exiled from Mandalore, I guess. So I don't think he could go so he's back. Probably there. not there. He's probably at a bar in <laughs> but like Tatooine makes sense. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um. So which is fine or whatever the case is. Uh. So, but either way, wherever he is, he's not getting a movie. Um, but now the more I think about it, Boba Fett like, is not really interesting. No, he's not. What was interesting or what was cool about Boba Fett was his armor and his helmet. And the prequels were basically said, all right, we'll give you all of that. So <laughs> here's how the, here's the helmet and everything. And there's, here's millions and millions and millions of them. Um, and then they like threw it at us that way. Yes. Uh, but what'd be more interesting is like, a television series, which is like the Mandalorian, uh-huh. the, the official title that we've got and everything like that, you know, out there running around. Um, 
and my gut kind of tells me they folded this in or like they folded Boba Fett and then let Favreau strip mine it. Yeah. Or at least they will end up strip mining it and folding it into his film mm-hmm. or his television series. That seems to be what would happen, but I'm not really mourning this or any, anything like this at all because at the end of the day, I'm getting a Star Wars television series, and I think that's what's really... That's what's helping you? That's what's helping me I kind of like okay. get through it, um, especially too because I'd rather see what Johnson's going to be cooking up and mm-hmm. what he's working on right now or what he's going to get back to working on <laughs> um, and what uh, DB and Weiss mm-hmm. are going to you know bring forward and after you know three, four years after... Uh, Episode nine hits theaters. Yeah. I de- it definitely speaks to a, we are really slowing down. Mm-hmm. The As ratings. Iger said uh, a couple weeks ago, he was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're slowing down. We're reevaluating our stance. Um, some people were like, well, that could just mean no more movies in a six month span of each other. So basically no two movies a year. But I think we both interpreted it as after nine, there's probably going to be a year, maybe two where there's no Star Wars movies in theaters. Yeah. And I think two at the minimum. I think this, not that this makes, not that this confirms this necessarily because Boba Fett was nowhere near starting filming in the last couple of years. And I mean, when Josh Trank was still attached to it, they were like ready to bring him out on stage at Star Wars Celebration, like 2015 or 16 or whatever that was. It was the year. Yeah, it was it the was, year. Of, it was 2015 because that's when Fan Force Dick came out. Right. And they were ready to. Uh... <laughs> I love that title. Um, yeah, because they'd already announced Rogue One, and Rogue One just put out their first image. Yeah. And they were doing something with that. And then no, they did like, like that All teaser, right, teaser. Are you ready for what's going to take the place of Solo, or what's going to be uh-huh. right after that? And then, uh, or they... No, they didn't say anything. Didn't say anything, because they're like, okay. They're well, like, oh, Josh, having... Josh Trank is sick. Yeah, he's having a breakdown, or whatever his deal was. I don't even remember. I think but... he was having like a breakdown, but like their official stance was, oh, yeah, he's homesick. I was like liars which is, well, I mean, which is true to a certain extent like i'm not trying to make fun of him for like taking care of himself or anything like that yeah he, he was he was definitely having a rough time but right but he, he wasn't like at home like oh i have i have the cold like they're <laughs> right. like we like if the, you have like a mental breakdown or something potentially like we are going to distance ourselves from you and yeah his movie's not gonna happen yeah there's like a sense of unprofessionalism yeah. that they were getting from him and fox and mm-hmm. the studio yep Scott Bud at large. So, uh, yeah, they just brushed it under yep. the rug. I'm, I'm way off track here, but <laughs> do you think this is a good idea? We've been talking about yes. this for like hours. Yes, I do. Uh, I, I, I had no interest in the Boba Fett movie. Don't really care about him as a character. Whether he's alive or dead doesn't change me in any way. Um, so knowing that I don't have to watch a two-hour movie about his origin or his escape... It's fine by me because, I mean, yeah, I think like James Mangold probably would have done something cool, potentially, but I feel like we also would have ran into the same problems that Solo ran into for me, which was just like over-explaining things that we didn't need explaining. It's the same reason why after seeing Solo, I'm like, I don't know if I need that Obi-Wan movie anymore because I, we have seen the prequels. I've seen his arc through the Clone mm-hmm. Wars and his appearance in Rebels, and I've seen the original trilogy. Like, I know his whole story. Yeah. So you at this point, you're just like, filling an unnecessary gap you're like taking there's like this little sliver of a gap in obi-wan's story and you're taking mm-hmm. this giant boulder and just hammering it into that to make it fit just you're like but we got it 
we got it in there and it, it, you don't need to. Uh, yeah. And at this point, I'd rather let nine finish, see Johnson's trilogy, see the Benioff and Wise series. Um, and then maybe we can reconsider the standalone ideas or you can do standalones like Rogue One or something that is completely original in the sense of the characters it's starring, but I don't need, you know, a Boba Fett movie. I don't need an Obi-Wan movie at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't need a, uh, a young Luke Skywalker movie, a young Leia movie. Like I don't need, I don't need any of that stuff. The only one that like remotely interests me is like ones that they aren't even discussing. Like a Jabba the Hutt movie. No, thanks. A Yoda movie. Nah, pass. That was the, those were the most insane ideas but I've like, ever heard. If you're like, Hey, we're going to do a Poe Dameron movie about, the about his x-wing squad i'd be like heck yeah that'd be awesome isn't that star wars resistance no that's different i mean mean, poe dameron is technically in the series but he is not the focus like i want to see like an x-wing like war movie basically with poe dameron rogue one but just on that like almost almost like uh top gun for x yes exactly yeah exactly top gun that would have been really really that'd be awesome and poe has been kind of he's hasn't been given the spotlight he doesn't he was supposed to be killed off five minutes into force mm-hmm. awakens anyways so dumbest thing uh, JJ they've, would have ever they've had to rework his story and so like i feel like doing that kind of stuff with characters that we're currently still learning about that's more interesting to me now than like hey what happened with uh you know mace windu like let's tell his origin. I'm like, who right. cares at this point? Or he survived the fall. Right, exactly. Where Sam, Sam Jackson his, comes back and it's Where's him and his one arm now? Yeah. Type of a thing. Um although in my head canon, uh, Boba Fett was in Coruscant and when Mace Windu got his hand chopped off, landed on Boba Fett's speeder and was just like or there's an entire hunt where Boba Fett goes to Coruscant to hunt down Mace Windu, who the rumor has it is still there. Oh, interesting. But that's not, you know, real. <laughs> Although I did hear a good pitch for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I know okay. we're going long on this segment. All right, let's hear it. But um, it was uh, Elizabeth Burring from the Washington Post who was watching episode three. And she was talking about how, how does Obi-Wan go from being basically this golden retriever type of a guy um, for the Jedi Order to uh, this like old crotchety cynic at the start of episode four. Uh-huh. So what goes on in that? I mean, obviously losing Anakin Skywalker and everything like that, like that takes a toll. But then, I mean, there's also 20 years of him, like basically on Tatooine by himself. Mm-hmm. What's he thinking about? Um, what is his reflections? He was him. And basically everyone told Qui-Gon Jinn, don't train Anakin. It's not going to go well for any of us. And he turns out to be right. Uh, so how does that, you know, change him? So it would have to be like, you know, almost make a better novel, I think is what they kind of like arrived yeah. to the conclusion as, cause it'd be like really internal introspective and you could talk about all these aspects of the mm-hmm. force, but still really made me want a, a movie with Ian McGregor. It would be like Christopher Robin, the movie he was in only <laughs> in reverse where he becomes like this. He's like this really hopeful dude. And, okay. And then he's like, no, all business until Leia shows up and it's like. Oh, that's the other kid. We should definitely go now. Can it also span the 18 years between, or however many years is between three and four, and we get to see how in 18 years we get from Ewan McGregor looking at, like, golden at the end of Mm -hmm. uh, three to the aged and whitened (laughs) Alicus from four? Because he's clearly gone through a lot because he's aged very roughly. Ooh, Guinness? No. Obi-Wan from from three to four? Yeah. He's he's gone through some stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, that doesn't help. Like Guinness was like sixty when he shot yeah. that film, and Obi or er, McGregor was like 
25 or right. 25 he's like 27 or 28 yeah he's late 20s early 30s right yeah. so the, the, tw- well, the 20 year <laughs> jump is just like that, yeah that was a rough 20 it, years it, yeah sure. it looks it looks rough um but let's move on to ticket or skip it to see if any of these trailers are rough or if we are actually going to give a ticket to one of them spoiler we have to give a ticket to one no matter what mm-hmm. um and there are there are some decent trailers out there this week we got our first trailer for Cold Pursuit, the latest Liam Neeson revenge movie. Uh, the second trailer for How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. And the first official trailer for Vox Lux, starring Natalie Portman. Josh, which one is getting your ticket this week? I'm giving it to Vox Lux. I, I'm a, I'm a, I, want, I like to laugh more so than I like to see um, Liam Neeson drive 2,000 pounds of cold steel down a highway or whatever the case is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it was, it looks dramatic. It almost looks like a star is born, only um, a little more explicitly funny. Or like, what happens after a star is born? Like, or no, that's the same movie as a star is born. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like a more satirical take of star is born rather than an emotional and heartfelt um, something from, mm-hmm. you know, uh, director Bradley Cooper. Uh, Natalie Portman looks like she's like in peak form, funny, uh, dramatic. And this pop star character, Vox Lux, is just super interesting to me. And they're talking about the aspects of fame and popularity and why people are why some of them act like how they act or do what they do Mm -hmm. because they figured out how to get attention or whatever the case is. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't need to see this biopic movie because that's what I thought it was Mm -hmm. when the teaser came out. But now that I've seen them, like, oh, it's an amalgamation of, or, you know, like a a portrait of all these different pop stars jammed together today. That is so much more interesting to me than How to Train Your Dragon or (laughs) Cold Pursuit. Although How to Train Your Dragon does look cute, I will admit, and I want to see it, but... Vox Lux gets my ticket this week, Cooper. I will agree with you. Vox Lux also gets my ticket. Oh, awesome. Um, I considered How to Train Your Dragon, but I'm still, I'm a little unsure about the canon of this whole thing. Okay. Because uh, the dad is like saying, oh, I think it's your destiny to, you know, re- to unite man and dragon. Mm-hmm. But in the first movie, he's just like, so I hate dragons. Don't go near them. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. But I'll push it aside. He's a changed man. I guess so. I guess something... Maybe that happened before his mom left. I don't know. There's, I, I'd have to, I guess, go back and revisit. Is that why he hates dragons? Is because the mom left to go be with dragons? I, I, uh, it's been a while since I watched the second one, but I believe what happened was that wow. the mom died at the hands of a dragon, or they they thought she died, and she didn't. And so, but like, you know, they, but because. He thought she did. He was just like, I hate dragons. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's possible. I guess that's possibly what happened. Okay. And they're showing like, oh, here's his whole redemptive arc, everything. But Got it. I don't know. But Vox Lux, uh, I'm just here really for Portman's performance. It looks fun. It looks uh, different. It looks a little quirky. Yeah. Um, I'm The only, I guess, hiccup I have with the trailer isn't really with the trailer. It's more of the premise of the movie that apparently Portman doesn't come in until the second half, really. And the, the focus of the movie is actually, like, of her daughter finding her. So oh. I am just not sure how much of the movie I'm going to uh, be invested in, if that is the case. Because if it's like, well, if, if I'm here for Natalie Portman, does that, that first half could be potentially really boring. Yeah. If it's just, like, focusing on her daughter, like, trying to find her, which is could be an interesting angle to take. But if, like... Portman is the real powerhouse, then I I feel like the second half's gonna like potentially over deliver. 
and make up for like the lackluster first half potentially. So it's more of an issue with the potential of the movie. Um, but I think Portman looks good um, in it. So I'm going to give that my ticket as well. Stacy Martin is the daughter, correct? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen her in anything. Um, I guess I'm, I'm not, I haven't seen all. Um, and oh, she's in, apparently in all the money in the world. Don't remember her from that. Really? Um, but Nymphomaniac Volume One and Two, I have not seen. <laughs> so I guess we'll get a good look at that. So if she'll so. be if she's able to carry it. I mean, it's getting it's getting good buzz. Good buzz. The festival. I think it's mainly for Portman though. So that's what I'm wondering if the movie itself can really hold up. Yeah, it'll be one of those things like she won an Oscar for that, and then you start watching the movie, and you're like, she's not even in this movie. Exactly. It's like, well, like she'll go for like supporting or something, even though yeah. like she'll probably lead the second half of the movie. But, like, you can't give her a lead when she's only in half the movie. Yeah, so. uh, okay. Uh, yeah, but anyway, I was just, I did not expect to be sit here being like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And then just Jude Law in there. Everyone loves a good yeah. Jude Law smirk and, um, you know, just rubbing his temples, being like, what have you done to me? Thing. <laughs> it looks like he's playing Watson in this movie, yeah. Vox Lux. So I'm here for that. Yeah, so let's move on to the flyby then to wrap up this episode. Uh, we got a pretty big move for DC as they pushed Wonder Woman 1984 from November 1st, 2019 to June 5th, 2020. So seven-month delay between when we now get to see the sequel to Wonder Woman. Um, it's going back in the exact same slot as the first movie where it ended up making close to $900 million worldwide. So I feel like it's understandable why DC would delay it. Um, I just hope it's not a... I don't think there's any reason why, well, this movie needs seven extra months because I don't think there's any problems with it or anything. It's more of just, well, you have seven extra months, Patty Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Whether that means you just get done seven months earlier or whatever. Yeah. Uh, just use it to your advantage. And uh, I'm, I'm bummed because I wanted to see you next year. But if we got to wait till June 2020. I'll, I'll wait till June 2020. Right. Don't have any choice. <laughs> exactly. It's not like we're going to like stage a break in right. November or whatever the case <laughs> Patty, is. Patty, give me the movie. <laughs> exactly. It just means, like, without a doubt, we're going to get the best movie possible. Mm-hmm. Um, Like you said, whether we needed it or not. Yeah. Um, But July 2020, let's go. All right. Um, And then THR revealed this week that Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton are going to start in George Miller's new movie. That is unfortunately not a Mad Max Fury Road sequel or spinoff or prequel or anything. It is instead an epic romance titled 3000 Years of Longing. Uh, Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton are going to be the two stars. One of them is a genie. We don't know which one. Josh, which one would you put your money on being the genie? I mean, it's the conventional wisdom is to say Tilda Swinton. Because she probably is a genie of some kind. That's I don't possible. No, uh, that's like her person, uh, like her personality and like her atmosphere and aura. Mm-hmm. Just says, "I am a mystical being who can grant you wishes if you ask me, or whatever the case is, or if you find my lamp, or whatever." <laughs> so, um, but then I could also see Idris Elba because he just kind of fits that Robin Williams and soon to be Will Smith type persona. Uh-huh. So the one would be very reverent and mystical the other be like all right who's ready to party um <laughs> so i could definitely see both but i would put it on um tilda swinton this sounds like a crazy fun idea for george miller um it's not the movie i wanted him to make but i think i think i'm here for it yeah i mean it's another one of those interesting steps in george miller's very interesting career yes uh, he doesn't ever seem to do what people expect him to do um, going from mad max high octane crazy action to an epic romance We'll see how it turns out, but when you have Elba and uh, Swinton starring, it's it's a pretty good start. Yes, so um, and I would also probably say I would favor Swinton as the genie instead of Elba, but 
either one of them, as you mentioned, can easily pull off a, I've been around for 3,000 years sort of a thing. Or I would even love it if they're both genies, both trapped <gasps> in their own containers, and they're like trying to re- like find each other over 3,000 years. That would be the best thing ever. I feel like that sounds <laughs> epic to me instead of like, because if one of them's a genie, but it takes place potentially over like 3,000 years of them longing for each other. Yeah. Like, what's the other person? Are they like, are they like reincarnated over and over and over again? Mm. Are they... Do they just not age or does it actually not take place over 3,000 years? I don't know. Or maybe they one person wishes to live forever and unlimited wishes. And it's about how the relationship between these two people wishing for wishes and staying alive okay. evolves over the We could years. see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, it's, supposed to take, it's supposed to start shooting potentially next year. So uh, hopefully it won't be too long before we see 3,000 years of longing. Um, it may also not be too long before we see a LeBron James produced Friday the 13th movie. As Bloody Disgusting was the first to report this news and has since been confirmed that he is indeed going to help produce the next Friday the 13th reboot. It comes right after Halloween crushed um, at the box office. There's a reinvigorated interest in you know redoing all these horror movies and it looks like Friday the 13th is going to be the next one up. Coming from LeBron, pretty surprising, but I know he's a big horror guy, but it's just continuing for him to branch out and start his production company and really do a lot of different things. So good for LeBron. Yeah. Horror movies are, it's the best way to get into the, the game too. They're cheap. They make hundred millions of dollars and you can just mine talent. So yeah. And he, he loves the movie it. He's always like Georgie. Georgie. Yeah. <laughs> his, his costume was that, is that last year or two years ago? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was last year. It was the best. It was, yeah, it was the pretty best. Um, we also got word this week from Netflix that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio project is moving to Netflix um, to be made. It is going to be a stop-motion animated movie, and production is going to begin this year, in fact. So it's going to be del Toro's first movie since winning an Oscar for Shape of Water. Um, I feel like stop-motion is a very cool uh, avenue for the mm-hmm. Pinocchio story to go. makes sense more than like trying to do it live-action and trying to like figure out how to make Pinocchio look as a puppet then have him look as a boy I feel like that's just yeah. good. I feel like it's just such a tough transformation to make but I'm sure Disney or somebody will do it in the next couple of years but either way uh, Del Toro taking probably the darker turn on Pinocchio not the Disneyfied version of the story I feel like he's going to do something really fascinating with it for Netflix but it's also a musical it is so does it mean you need to make it a little bit more lighter or is it going to go like the Corpse's Bride Nightmare Before Christmas route I feel like that's probably those are probably better comps than like this is uh I don't know whatever what else? the 80s version was. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. This is exciting though. Uh first of all, it's going to be on Netflix. It's something we all own. It'll all get distributed <laughs> at the same time and we'll all be able to watch it. And it's the first time we're going to get a Oscar-winning director on the platform? No way. I th- I think so. I don't think so. Scor- I, th- I mean, Scorsese. But is, he hasn't dropped the movie on there yet. Not yet, but it, I believe his movie is supposed to drop next year. And there's got to be somebody else who's directed a movie for Netflix. I'll that. need to research that, but I think this is, I don't know. Either way, it's exciting because Netflix is good at starting to get some cloud as a place where you, these kinds of people won't be afraid to take their projects. True. Um, so we also um got word this week from variety that uh chris pratt and taylor sheridan are going to be teaming up for an original action thriller potential franchise that is currently has the working title of fast uh pratt will play a 
character described as, quote, a former special forces commando who's recruited by the DEA to lead a, to lead a black ops strike team targeting drug dealers who are protected by the CIA. So uh, the thriller aspect of it, the, you know, black ops team against drugs, it sounds right up Sheridan's alley. It has very much uh, Sicario vibes for it. And I'm excited to see yeah. Pratt make this turn. Um, because it's only possible because Cowboy Ninja Viking and Guardians 3 are both on hold. So him taking a step away from franchise films to go into something like this, teaming up with Taylor Sheridan, uh, I think is a great move for his career. I am a little concerned, potentially, with the Sicario vibes. Like, like, is this just Sheridan doing the same thing we've seen him do three or four times before? Maybe, but I also think he's one of the best writers currently in Hollywood. So... Uh, I feel like he'll find a way to make it different and interesting, still all the same. Yeah, this will be probably this, this sounds like his most explicit action film. Um, in Sicario that he's written, Sicario: Day of the Soldado um, was close to that, but I think it kind of turned away from it with um, some of its focus on you know the people crossing the border and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but I like the idea here that the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing. The DEA is like, all right, let's get these drug lords. Oh no, the CIA is using them and protecting them was kind of like an American made type of an attitude or style with yeah. that right there. And I think that's something interesting enough for him to bring his chops to because it's all very hypocritical and cynical. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Sheridan writes that really well. At least he showed that he wrote it really well into the Sicario franchise. So it seems like it's the unofficial pre- sequel to it. True. Or it's like the or it exists in the same universe, same universe. Cause the unofficial sequel will be Sicario three with just del Toro. I mean, that'd be, a blast if fast is also tied to Sicario and that'd be cool. Yeah. I would not be surprised if it, you know, it falls in that place where he's just like, Hey, these movies still have some pull. <laughs> True. Um, we also got word this week from a deadline that Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio are teaming up once again to adapt killers of the flower moon. I uh, don't know much about this property, but the deadline article kind of gave a synopsis for it and said in 1920s, Oklahoma, the Osage nation were the richest people per capita in the world after oil was discovered under their land. Yep. And then they were murdered one by one as the death toll rose. The newly created FBI took up the case and unraveled a chilling conspiracy and one of the most monstrous crimes in American history. So yep. uh, I believe DiCaprio will play the FBI agent at the front of this case. Um, and it sounds just like a thing with great source material for Scorsese and DiCaprio to sink their teeth into and probably turn out another best picture contender when everything's said and done. It will 100% be a best picture contender. Um, it's it's the based off a book by David Gran, a journalist. Um, I've listened to it on Audible. Okay. It is spellbinding, captivating, and uh, just all around amazing, especially once... It, the 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 pivot point of the story is going to be it's the FBI's first major case yeah and like the reason for them you know having such a high profile or esteem or once esteem in our country <laughs> depending <laughs> on who you are and what you feel um it's it's it, it's perfect for DiCaprio it's perfect for Scorsese um especially when they kind of get into the the dynamic that is in these towns that sprung up or the, the, the Osage Indians kind of brought to these towns that had sprung up all across the West and how their wealth kind of um, paired with their traditions. 
mm-hmm. it, it makes it'll make for a really interesting interesting and intriguing story. Um, all right. So I'm definitely all about this. Uh, we also got word this week from Comic Book that uh, the Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix will have a Bruce Wayne and an Alfred as Dante Pereira Olsen has been cast as the young Bruce Wayne and Douglas Hodge will play Alfred. Pretty surprised by this because we continue to get nods to Batman, the Waynes, um, all this stuff. I thought they were going to go more just like this is Joker story and there's going to be really no other DC references outside of like Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. But if we have Bruce, we have Alfred, we have Thomas, Martha probably can't be too far behind. Um, and it seems like they're really digging into DC lore a little bit more than I expected, I guess. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if this Elseworld banner is going to fall off of it by the time we get to the end. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it just seems like they're gearing up for something broader mm-hmm. than a one-off film, but maybe because it's a one-off film, they're, going big for it right i mean like so. i don't know any of these neither either of these actors so it's not like oh well it's like they cast uh like some really promising like 14 year old actor who in then like in four years from now can play a really young a, a teenage bruce wayne who's just becoming batman right like they cast like a seven-year-old right. <laughs> right which makes me kind of wonder is this just going to be oh they're listed as these actors but their role in the movie is tom Joaquin Phoenix picking up a newspaper and then there's the Waynes on the back of the newspaper. It's like, oh, they just needed their picture. And they're right. Not really acting or it's thing. like Thomas has like, cause I guess he's running for mayor in the movie. So like there's like a press conference and like the, the family's there or like he's being dropped off somewhere and Bruce is in the backseat. Alfred's driving the car. So right. it's like, yeah. Oh, there's Bruce and Alfred, but mm-hmm. like they have a second of screen time. That's it. Yeah. It's possible, but we, we don't know. Uh, we do know that Jamie Lee Curtis is the latest star to join Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. This came from Variety. Uh, fresh off Halloween. Seems like Ryan Johnson took no time. And be yeah. like, hey, <laughs> you're, I don't want to say relevant again, but you're back in the um, the eye of the public. Yeah. So, like, get in here. Mm-hmm. Be one of my potential uh, suspects and let's make this happen. Yeah. And that's, he's just, he's literally just grabbing anyone making waves right now. Um, and Jimmy Lee Curtis is a perfect pick for it. We said last week that I was like, or I was like shocked when we were talking about Anna Dame Armes's casting that mm-hmm. she was the first, uh, woman to be, get, uh, brought into the movie. And I was like, okay, so they're probably going to start filling up the other half. Yeah. And so far two perfect picks, yep. especially I'm, after Halloween. I mean, I think we've talked about knives out for the last, four five maybe even six weeks yeah. on the podcast is like just keep adding one person a week so i'm sure we'll be talking about next week any mm-hmm. random guess on who's going to be the next one to join yeah uh emma stone no 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 no. Yeah, emma stone yeah no i i have no i, I, She's I, probably I already busy. i don't but... know why i asked i have nobody in my head uh, I, I will throw one out okay. uh uh shoot no i can't think of her name Anna kendrick blake lively no both i'd be so on board for okay. but um riley keo oh, from yeah hold the dark there you go. That'd be great. And speaking of Hold the Dark, her husband in the movie, Alexander Skarsgård, has joined Godzilla vs. Kong, according to Deadline. No word on his character, but again, he's one of the latest people to join the project. So good for him. Mm-hmm. Good for the movie. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, same here. It looks like he's the hero, probably. Maybe. because uh, I still want to see Denison and Brown front and center. Yeah, but... He'll probably oh he'll be the special agent who's the good guy who's oh. just trying to get to the bottom of this thing. <laughs> Dag Nabbit. Yeah, he'll, he'll um, be he'll be the the soldier that like has to go and guard him and protect him through right, everything. Right, exactly because they know they're the Godzilla soothsayers. 
Or Millie Bobby Brown is the Godzilla soothsayer. And Julian Donaldson's just like, oh boy, oh boy, we're getting into it. We're getting into it. And then he's like, okay. That's all he does. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then Kyle Chandler's like, oh no. Oh no. Come on. Come here, Godzilla. Let's I'm huddle, still alive. huddle up, Godzilla. Huddle up. <laughs> Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't and lose. You can't lose to, God, or King <laughs> can't Kong. Lose to Kong. You got this, bro. He should probably, I would say, say that to Kong instead of Godzilla. No, because Godzilla's. Who's the good guy in King Kong versus Godzilla? I don't know, but I'm saying, like, if anybody's going to need a pep talk, if I'm Kong looking up at Godzilla, I'd be like, shoot, this is mm-hmm. not going to end well. But if I'm Godzilla looking down at Kong, I've got my atomic breath and be like, Pfft. oh, man. Yeah. This is, no, this is no problem. Which is why I hate I hate this is a stupid battle because technically Godzilla should win every But time. technically, Kong is still growing. So that's right. Theoretically, and- he will be even larger. And probably closer to Godzilla's sky, they, size? Yes, I would say so too. Because I think they've made that very clear in Skull Island. It's like, oh, he's a baby. Yeah. Or he's very young. He'll get bigger in the next 20 years or mm-hmm. something like that. But my question is, King Kong should be way more... Um, uh, fin- he's going to be able to finesse Godzilla. It's true. So as long as the world hasn't like been completely leveled by uh, Ghidorah and Rodan... Mm-hmm. Then they should. He should be able to use New York City and San Francisco and wherever they're Japan or wherever they're at yeah. to his advantage. It's true. We'll um, have to see how that plays out in 2020. Uh, we'll also get to see next year Catherine Langford apparently in Avengers Four. The rap report of this um, surprising bit of casting, the 13 Reasons Why star, has apparently already joined the movie, already filmed scenes, which makes sense because production and reshoots are wrapped, so that she can't. Mm-hmm. Film anything now anyways, uh, but I guess she joined during production in secret. Her role is just not being revealed, or her addition is just being revealed. We don't know who she's playing, but it uh, seems like a solid bit of casting, somebody that will probably stick around for the future. I threw out Kate Bishop as a suggestion, but I don't know if that's actually... I don't believe that'll actually happen. Who is Kate Bishop? She is the next Hawkeye. Ah. She's like... Uh, kind of... She comes from a rich family. She's abused, and then she... like takes that as motivation to learn how to protect herself and mm-hmm. rises up and kind of takes over Hawkeye's mantle. Does she do anything like super significant in the large universe of Avengers or is she just another hero to the full? Uh, from my knowledge, she doesn't I mean she's not like, Oh, I just saved the universe sort of a person, but like she's been in a lot of different things. Okay. Yeah, awesome. Um, do you think it's a small role or one that's just like, Oh, you're going to be in the next phase. So let's just have you. I duck in. I think it is a small-ish role, but an important one probably for yeah. Avengers 4, and then a large role moving forward. Hawkeye dies when his bow and arrow falls down an alley, and she's walking through. What is oh, this? Hey, I've a never bit. seen an arrow before. <laughs> yeah. And she throws it. Perfect bullseye. Oh, mm-hmm. This is great. I'm going to start training. There we go. Um, and we also got word this week from Screen Rant um, and of, from Spike Lee to Screen Rant that he is uh, not directing that Nightwatch movie for Sony, so... Can push that one on the back burner of Sony's potential Spider-Man spin-off movies because it don't does not direct anymore. So, too bad. But sounds like was he doing work on it? That's something I never got figured I, out. I believe he was working on it, and then so if there's stuff that he left on that project. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sony goes out and grabs somebody for it. Yeah, but like Spike Lee styles, very different than anyone else. Basically, else. anybody else. So you think Sony just kicked him off? I don't know. Or said, yeah, I don't like what you're doing. I don't know if, I don't think Sony would kick him off. I feel if anything, he'd be like, all right, this is my pitch. And then he's going to, he worked on the script, he worked on the story. And then they're like, uh, yeah, can you tone this down? Mm -hmm. And he's just like, nah. And he left. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. 
So that is it for the flyby and this episode. We'll be back next week with a review of Bohemian Rhapsody, the new biopic focused on Queen's frontman Freddie Mercury. Josh, are you looking forward to this one? I am really looking. For, I'm not really looking forward to it, but I am super interested in it because it looks like a fun, rocking movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to do some reading on Freddie Mercury himself, but probably before I go to the movie, okay. just to know, kind of learn the nuances of who that guy was. Because I've got a, I've got a character and I've got some um, secondhand like. Here's a small little story about him type knowledge. Right. You know, Wikipedia summary depth level. I need to mm-hmm. go wider. But it looks fun. Those concerts look like they're going to be a blast. Um, him sort of crashing into the music world and that, that and how that all plays out has already looked really funny on um, the trailers. But I can't wait to see it at a feature length. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it mainly for Amy Malik's performance, but also I like I do like Queen as a band, so I want to see like the evolution of their music, how they like created these songs, all this kind of stuff, um, and see how deep they do dive into Freddie Mercury's life, depending on what reviews and reactions you read. Yeah. Uh, it feels like it's varying for different people, that maybe right. it doesn't go as deep as you'd want, but sometimes it goes right as deep as you need, so... We'll see how we feel next week. I hate seeing tweets because people tweet about it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I feel like I've been tainted. But I feel like I should need to read up on it just so I can get like that knowledge in so I can test it against theirs and have a right. counterpoint or you know an opposite view, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we are at this point. The <laughs> unconventional wisdom. That's, that, that is true. Um, we'll also be back this week with a big question discussing what characters – um, surprise characters want to see pop up in Avengers four as well. Mm-hmm. There's rumors that there's some people coming back that you may not expect. So we'll see uh, who else we should, who, who we want to actually come back, whether they've been confirmed or not. So we'll, um, if you enjoyed this episode though, please subscribe, share, retweet and more plus our tunes. give us a five star review with comments telling us why you enjoy listening to the show and why you keep tuning in. So that way other people can find it and they'll keep tuning in because you said that you told them to tune in. So it's just, it's a great circle. Yeah, lots of people are listening, too. I really appreciate the response yeah. from some of the last shows. Absolutely. So thank you. But follow up, because like you said, rate us in iTunes, because that helps even more folks. It does. It does. Very much so. Um, but be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by us at Friends and Film. And then be sure to follow me on Twitter at MovieCooper and Coops underscore Hoops. And for all of your burrito eating news, follow me at just Joshua Ryan. Thanks, Sam, for tuning in to the Friends Film Podcast. Josh. Thank you for stopping in, everyone. And be sure to turn next week for our review of Bohemian Rhapsody.